Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. I, I think if you ask most Americans, what is the existential crisis facing the world right now? I think most Americans would say global warming, and part of that is using the words existential and planet. Right. And you're not going to get student loan debt from existential and planet. But to a lot of Americans, student loan debt may be a bigger issue uh, than global warming in their immediate lives. With me in our studio in Washington, D.C., is Michael Mann. Now, when you talk to uh, people who know the world of climate science and you ask them, who would be your first choice to be a guest on global warming? Michael Mann is is what they come up with. He was uh, one of the lead authors of the Observed Climate Variability and Change chapter of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is everyone talks about as the IPCC, their third scientific assessment report, and that's way back in 2001. He shared the Nobel Prize with other scientists on the IPCC in 2007. He has been recognized with so many awards in this field that he's he's kind of the Meryl Streep of uh, climate science, and I hope you're not embarrassed. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dr. Mann is a distinguished professor of atmospheric science at Penn State and director of the Penn State Earth System Science Center, and he came here to Washington, D.C. to do the podcast, and I, again, I want to thank you for, for doing this. Well, thank you, Alex. It's a real pleasure for me to be able to do this interview with you. Oh, yeah. great, great, great. Okay. Your research, and I read this, involves the use of theoretical models and observational data to better understand Earth's climate system. And reading dire predictions, I understand exactly what that means. This is a pretty sophisticated primer, I think, on, on climate change. It's called Dire Predictions, Understanding Climate Change. And it says a visual guide, but it's not like a visual guide like for my grandson. No, this is really, um, it, it is an attempt to take the very dense and technical uh, intergovernmental panel on climate change reports, which are by and large completely inaccessible to the lay public, and sort of boil it down in language and using graphics that, that are well, more accessible. Inaccessible meaning we couldn't understand it or we can't yeah, get a hold of it. Very difficult to understand okay, yes. without uh, you know some knowledge in the field, yeah. Yeah, but you can understand this, which is... Well, that's what we hope. <laughs> yeah. That was the, that there, was the there end. There are times yeah. where I went, huh? So my question, with all that lead-in, is how fucked are we? Well, you know, as, as I like to say, um, you know, in that, in fact, that is the right framing because people uh, sometimes Yeah, finally, say, well, someone we, asked you the right question. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, in the wrong question is, you know... Uh, are we effed or not? Because it isn't binary. It's a matter of how. how effed. And how, the, yeah. the more we act and the sooner uh, we act, the less effed we are. We, we want to be less fucked than more fucked. And every day is a chance to be less or more. 
Right. So there is, you know, agency. Uh, we we can have an impact on our future, and that's very important to keep in mind because uh, there is too much, in, in my assessment, uh, way too much sort of doom and gloom and a sense uh, that we've sort of gone beyond the point of no return with climate change. And that simply isn't the, the case. Um, every action that we make can Well, make we the have future. in the sense that it's how fucked are we. It, right. It's, it's a question. So, so we've gone... You know, we, we blew it uh, in the 80s, uh, whenever you want to say we blew it. Right. I mean, we've already seen damaging climate change impacts, so there's no way to avoid that. It's already happened. Right. And, and there's more in the pipeline. The question is, how bad are we willing to let it get? Well, how bad? You know, when I think about that, I just had my fourth grandchild. And by that, I mean, thank you. By that, I mean, I, I personally gave birth uh, <laughs> to Claire Franken. And this is, she's seven weeks old now, and I realize if, you know, she has a really good chance of making it to the next century. The first thing I did was stop using a leaf blower that I use all the time. Uh, that's an internal combustion engine, so a gas thing. And, you know, I don't want my four grandchildren, uh, Joe, Jacob, Avery and, and Claire. I don't want them 50 years from now to say to me, Grandpa, you were a senator. You knew cl- climate change was happening. Why didn't you do anything? And also, why are you still alive? Because I'd be <laughs> like 118. So I said, well, I talked to Michael Mann <laughs> and get the people involved in exercise and, and knowledgeable. Because part of what I want to do today, and we'll get to it, is I want to... For you to arm the audience with what to say to the crazy uncle, the crazy aunt, the crazy... Uh, it's usually an uncle. Let's, uh, let's start with how many billion people are on the planet right now? So there are more than seven and a half billion people now and, and growing. Okay, and how many are from underdeveloped countries? Well, uh, the, the, the majority of that population, yeah. Okay, and... How do we prevent them from expanding their economies? Well, you know, I, I see it not as a, a question of um, whether or not they expand their economies. Um, they're entitled to do so. Okay, that, that, how? I was kidding. Yeah. In the sense that, <laughs> in the sense that we, they're going to, and because they are going to expand their economies, they're not going to be able to do it the way we did. Right. And exactly. we did it with fossil fuel. We did it with coal. That's the point. We want to help them leapfrog past fossil fuels to the the new technology that's now available that can provide them with the energy they need without continuing to do damage to the planet. And why wouldn't they leapfrog? You know, for example, they use iPhones or cell phones, right. and that's a leapfrog. Yep. I don't know. You know, they're probably most people in the underbelt world never had a, a line, you know, into right. their house, right. for God's sakes. Right. So they hopefully will leapfrog this. Right. And um, but we have to help them, right? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, and where part of Paris was was helping them was right. was agreeing to help them, and indeed that was one of the uh, parts of the agreement that was immediately attacked by fossil fuel interests and the Trump administration because they know how critical that is to helping the rest of the world transition away from fossil fuels, something they don't want to happen. Right. Are they all bad people? I mean, is every one of them a bad person? There are people that work for ExxonMobil who are, are good people. Oh, oh, sure. Yeah. No, in fact, um, you know, there, there are a few bad apples at the top is the problem mm-hmm. um, uh, who have, in essence, led those companies astray. Decades ago, ExxonMobil's own scientists identified the catastrophic potential threat of climate change in the internal documents. And then they went right to work letting people know about it and releasing what science <laughs> they had and and funding, uh, you know, centers that would dispense this information spread far and wide. That's the alternative universe I wish I lived in. Oh, they didn't do that. They did kind of the opposite, right? Yep. So they, they funded, what are the organizations they funded? Because many of them are still around, right? Yeah, I mean, they they created all sorts of front groups with fancy-sounding names like Americans for Prosperity. Who wouldn't be for prosperity, right? I am. (laughs) Unless you realize that it's just a front group for the fossil fuel industry. It is? Oh, no. 
There you are. God, I, I love the that Heartland name. Institute. Doesn't that sound oh. like a, an upright organization to you? Oh, I, I bet you it's near Minneapolis then. Uh, Chicago, based in Chicago, oh, so not you too see? far. You see, and of course a, a front group to, for tobacco, big tobacco, and fossil fuels. There's a, there's a kind of relationship between the tobacco science and the climate science in the, in terms of the industry withholding it. That's right. So the tobacco industry famously all lied in front of Congress and. Um, they wrote the playbook, and the fossil fuel industry has run with it. Yeah, give me a parallel of what they did with tobacco and what, what they did with climate. So with tobacco, they hid the fact that their product was killing people. The, the fossil fuel industry has hid the fact that their product is killing the planet. Okay, very nice parallel. The Meryl Streep of climate science. I went to the Paris, uh, you know, conference, our delegation met with Bangladesh. And they have so much at stake here. And they were so nice. They were so sweet. And I hate to use that word, but that was that was the best adjective. And they are already feeling it. I mean, there can be millions and millions of Bangladeshis who will be fugitives, who will be climate refugees. Right. They're very, it's a very low country, a very populated country. The The seawater is already uh, making some of the land not arable. And and, uh, and yet they were as sweet, as nice as could be to us. I right. felt awful. And they had the least role in creating this problem, and they're the ones who are bearing the brunt of it. I wonder what that is going to do militarily. Because uh, I remember the, the Defense Department did a millennial report a yeah. few years ago yeah. during the Obama administration and said that the number one threat to our country was climate change. Yeah. That's the Defense Department. Yeah. You hear this from four-star generals, the head of the Pacific Naval Fleet. Uh, this is what our national security community is telling us. It's what they call a threat multiplier, right, because it takes existing tensions and, and it heightens those tensions. So you've got 7.5 billion and growing people, as we said, more and more people on this planet competing for less food, less water, and less space in substantial part because of the impacts of climate change. And that's a recipe for conflict and you know, a uh, sort of perfect storm of national uh, security uh, calamities, if you will. Okay, now how much of that will be addressed by the research and development we do into growing crops uh, in hot, dry soil or um, adapting? Yeah. I mean, that's what USDA is doing, right? Yeah. I mean, at least was under Obama, right? We can buy a a little bit of of time Uh and flexibility through adaptation, but if in a worst-case scenario where we continue, you know, uh, to burn fossil fuels, business as usual for the next century, there's no amount of adaptation that will oh, provide yeah. us the resilience. That we okay. Need. The, the yeah. question really is, I think, is yeah. because, I mean, renewables will be cheaper. Well, they're already cheaper than right. a new coal plant, for goodness sakes. Right. Um, you and I had a discussion on the phone about natural gas and about fracking yeah. and you know, a lot of people think of natural gas as like a transition to right. 100% renewables uh, because the best feature of natural gas is that you can just start it up. If your wind and, and, and solar is uh, not producing 100% of the need, they can fire up natural gas like you couldn't do with coal. Coal has to keep right going. Right. Uh, but you're saying, and, and I know this is a big problem with natural gas, is the venting. Right. And that is methane. And that is a multiplier bad of, of carbon dioxide in the short term, right? Yeah. It doesn't stay in the atmosphere as long as CO2. So in the long and carbon dioxide. So in the long term, it's not as much of a, a factor, as much of a problem. But if you look at timescales of 10 to 20 years, then methane uh, can be as much as 100 percent more of a, a warming gas than carbon dioxide, nearly 100 times larger warming effect per molecule. Now, there are less of those molecules around. Okay. Methane is in, it's exists, a bigger molecule. 
It's it's uh, yeah. I mean, but, but the main thing is that it exists in much lower concentrations than than CO two. Okay. Um, but the fact is that each methane molecule is a lot more potent, especially on that time scale of twenty years or so. Mm-hmm. And 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 the worry, of course, is over the next ten to twenty years. We, we pass certain tipping points uh, where we set in motion the destruction of most of the, the continental ice sheets, locking in you know, oh. tens of feet of global sea level rise, right? Also, I mean, you uh, multiplier effects are, are something you write about in this, yeah. and one of them is the permafrost melting. Right. So, And that releases an incredible amount of methane. Yeah. Now, there's some debate about just how much methane uh, could be mobilized, um, you know, by by sort of that that near term warming. Uh, there are some scientists who have argued that it, it would be on a par with um, uh, CO2. Most scientists will tell you, no, the main warming effect is still going to be the carbon dioxide we're putting into the atmosphere from the burning of fossil fuels. But as you allude to, this is a multiplying effect. It can give us more warming. OK, so so a a. Um a warming, what do you call it? A warming gas? No, you don't call it. A greenhouse not, gas. A greenhouse um, gas. Okay, yeah. what a greenhouse gas is, it's a greenhouse gas because it absorbs the sun's heat. The, the radiation, the... Tell me, tell me. Okay, so here I'm, I'm, I'm schooling <laughs> Al Franken, folks. Uh, it's something I've always wanted to well, do. Well, you're a fucking climate scientist. <laughs> it's an honor to be uh, discussing the science with you, sir. And... Uh, so in a greenhouse gas, it's, it, uh, these are gases made up of molecules, carbon dioxide, methane, uh, water vapor that are able to absorb the heat energy that is trying to escape from Earth's surface. So it turns out that these particular molecules are able to rotate and vibrate in ways that absorb what we call infrared radiation. That's the heat radiation that the Earth is trying to send out to space to cool off as it's heated by the sun. And that's what determines Earth's temperature, is that balance between the heating by the sun and the amount of this invisible heat energy, infrared radiation, that it sends out to space. And what the greenhouse gases do is they absorb some of that heat energy Mm -hmm. as it's trying to escape into space, and they re-emit it in all directions, which means some of it escapes to space, but some of it goes back down. So now right. the surface. So more heat comes back down exactly. than otherwise would have. So that means the Earth has to produce even more of that outgoing heat energy to cool off, and it increases its temperature to do that. Then, oh Jesus! <laughs> wow! A collar? Can well, we? Well, it's so collar stupid. Question? No, no, I. Oh my, my God! Let me turn this damn thing off. There we go. I don't want to drop names. It's Bob Carey. Bob Carey, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I have Medal of Honor winners yeah. uh, seek my advice. I was once on a taping. I, I, it wasn't Letterman, but it was something like that, and I that happened. And I had prepared a line for it, like, years before in case that ever happened. Right. And it was, I need a liver. <laughs> uh, and we've got some good news. Guy was on a motorcycle without a helmet, and we got some really good news. Okay, yeah, that that was the two jokes. <laughs> the two. <laughs> this Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You know one thing I read in this which I thought was really interesting? Yeah. Because the ocean is warming up, right? Right. And so you said that cold water holds gas, more gas, more carbonation. Like you said the uh, carbon. And so that's why a cold... Diet Pepsi has more effervescence That's than right. a warm Diet Pepsi. That's right. And in fact, a cold water holds more dissolved oxygen. Um, right. That's part of why, and which you know, fish need, for example. So that's why the warming of the oceans is a problem uh, for uh, fish populations. I have always said, um, give a man a fish, 
You feed him for a day, teach a man the fish, you feed him for life, unless there are no fish. That's right. And that's why this is so important. That's right. For me, it's an analog for how we arm people with information um, because, uh, you know, when it comes to Uncle Charlie, uh, your climate change denying uncle at Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. um, you know, comes armed with the latest climate change denial talking points, uh, you know. Okay, that, that's what I want to do. Yeah. That's what I want to do. Yeah. What are those? And tell me what you say to them. Yeah. So, that's what I want. That's yeah. what, that, if we do anything here, we got to do that. Yeah. No, and, and your listeners probably aren't going to remember what we discussed here in this program, but I'm going to provide a resource that they can use um, and they can have right at their fingertips when Uncle Charlie comes armed with his climate change denying talking points. Uh, you can it's use Skeptical, your phone. Skeptical Science, a website. They've got an app that you can download that has the 100 plus main climate change denier myths with wow. the responses to it right at your fingertips. Okay, well, let's go through them now. Yeah. Uh, so, not all 100, but the, the, the kind of the, yeah. the good ones. Well, there's sort of a hierarchy, okay. right? Okay. Um, sometimes called the stages of denial. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the most fundamental uh, <laughs> denial <laughs> Okay, is, let's go. Right. Um, let's get right to them. The, the, first, the, the, the first stage of denial is that, you know, it's not happening that carbon dioxide isn't increasing in in the atmosphere and and there's really you know no way you could possibly support that uh that that claim uh, okay there... it feels like if you have someone saying that right it's hard to argue with them isn't it well <laughs> if they're not open to I mean, evidence and reason yeah. and data then uh, it's always a struggle and sometimes that's the case sometimes what you Where find Where are they hearing that now are they right. hearing it on right wing talk radio Yes well your good friend Rush Limbaugh for example um uh, would be you know example of uh, It doesn't matter if the ice caps melt if you put a, an ice cube in a glass my friends and it melts, it's the same, it goes to the same level. Yeah, but Greenland is not an ice cube. Like a well, land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Antarctica is like a continent. Yeah. So there you go, Russia. Yeah, Russia's model of the, of the world is a little simplistic, uh, unfortunately. And, uh, well, yeah. I guess I'm wrong. Yeah, it's something you'll never hear. Uh, <laughs> you'll never hear okay. that, oddly enough. Okay, so, so how, do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah, so, again, if somebody isn't willing to accept the, the Anyone evidence, who says that isn't willing to accept. I mean, they, they, they're probably they, coming from a place of, of, of bad faith or um, yeah. ideolo- ideology. They don't want to know. Okay, let's get rid of that one. Yeah, so I, get rid I, of if that. someone comes with that, you just go, eh. we can. We've been measuring it. You can see it climbing yeah. uh, year by year. There's no question Look at this about chart. That. It's a phony chart. He'll and, say, <laughs> you know, and he'll say those guys get paid right, right. by... Uh, you know, fresh fruits and vegetable interests. Right. The higher the CO2, <laughs> the more money they make, right? Yeah. So it's, uh, <laughs> at some point, you move on, right? You say, this yeah, person well, is lost. Yeah, past that guy. We'll go to the next person okay, who may this, be reachable, right? This, yes. This yeah. is what I want to hear because yeah. I want to arm our people Absolutely. with something useful. So, you know, then, then the argument is, okay, well, maybe the carbon dioxide is increasing, but there's no evidence of warming. And again, it, it just comes down to whether or not they're willing to accept the overwhelming evidence this is my response to there's no evidence of warming. Why is sea level rising? How do you explain that unless there's warming? Because it's a combination of when water's warmer, it expands, and also the ice caps melting. And so how does a person explain rising sea level? Mo Brooks, Republican congressman, from Alabama, um, who just months ago made waves, no pun intended, for claiming that sea level rise was due to rocks falling into the ocean. You may remember that. It uh, got a little bit of uh, press coverage. I actually don't remember that. Uh, yeah, Mo Brooks had, has his own theory for, for global sea level rise. It's rocks falling into the ocean. That's what he said. Yeah, that's what he said. Every single year that we're on Earth, you have huge tons of silt, deposited by the Mississippi River, by the Amazon River, by the Nile, by every major river system, and for that matter, creek, all the way down to the smallest systems, 
And every time you have that soil or rock, whatever it is that is deposited into the seas, that forces the sea levels to rise because now you've got less space in those oceans uh, because the bottom is, is moving up. Um, what about um, I'm, I'm pretty the, sure the White that Cliffs of Dover, uh, California, uh, where you have the waves crashing against the shorelines, and time and time again you're having the cliffs crash into the sea. All of that displaces water, which forces it to rise, does it not? I, I'm pretty sure that on human timescales, those are minuscule uh, effects. That That's really crazy. Well, right. <laughs> but, I mean, right. Well, it, and if it were just that thing, then you can imagine, right? Um, and this is sort of the tactic used by climate change deniers mm -hmm. is to sort of isolate one piece of evidence and then uh, sort of focus their... A contrarianism uh, in it. Uh, okay, what's the, to what, what is that. the piece of evidence they go to? What's a, well, a no, common? Well, do they, they, you know, like a basketball player just goes to his right. <laughs> what, what's a climate denier? What do they go to? What what piece of evidence do they go to? Right. So again, with sea level rise, mm -hmm. um, they'll say, "Oh, well, the sea level is rising, but it's natural. It's part of a long term." natural uh, warming after we came out of the last ice age. And, and oh, then, okay. And then the problem is, okay, well, it has accelerated dramatically over the last several decades. Mm -hmm. And it isn't just the sea level that's rising. It's the ice that's melting. And we're measuring that. We're measuring the warming of the surface, the warming in the oceans, the warming of the northern hemisphere, the warming of the southern hemisphere. Okay. So now, now let's, uh, I love the ice age stuff because the sense of time. Yeah. The age of the Earth, the amount of time between ice ages, scope of time like dinosaurs. How long were the dinosaurs around? They were around for, for hundreds of millions of years. Hundreds of millions of years. And in fact, <laughs> <laughs> okay, not billions, uh, but hundreds, hundreds of millions. Hundreds of millions um, of years. So, for example, the Jurassic and the early Jurassic, the Stegosaurus, uh, it's a right. couple hundred million years ago. The Tyrannosaurus Rex died with the extinction event uh, known as the KT impact, this asteroid impact. 65, Huge asteroid hits. Right. Now, it's 65 Jupiter... million years ago. To give you a sense of how misleading our sense of time and mm -hmm. past time can be, I like to point out to people that there is less time that elapsed between the Tyrannosaurus Rex and us than elapsed between the Stegosaurus and the Tyrannosaurus Rex. They lived farther apart from each other than we lived from the Tyrannosaurus rex. It was an early Jurassic uh, dinosaur. The uh, T-Rex was a late Cretaceous dinosaur. And those are hundreds of millions of years apart. We're only 65 million years away from the T-Rex. Now, you asked about the Ice Ages. That's a shorter time scale. Okay, okay. Uh, but still, it's instructive to think about that because people will say one of the arguments would be, well, hey, there were... You know, there were ice. There's an ice sheet covering, you know, a uh, large part of North they America. They always say right? this is when I, I'm, I was on the Energy Committee, and when all these Trump appointees or nominees would come before us, and I'd say, "Do you believe in climate change?" And they'd say, "Well, the climate has always been changing, right. and uh, we don't know how much man." has to do with it, right. which is like an, a little bit more of an acknowledgement that right. man may have something to do with right, it. Right, exactly. And then yeah. if you press them on it, they'll say, well, I'm not a climate scientist. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just an undersecretary of climate. Right. <laughs> exactly. And we, we do have some actual climate scientists who know something about the science, and here's what they oh, say. Oh, man. Michael Lewis is on podcast. His book, The Fifth Risk, is the best book about the Trump administration because you don't have to read about Trump mm. very much. Yeah. It's about the ag department, about commerce, and about the energy department. And what happens is is that they don't do the transition. They don't do what you normally do, which is bring 30 people to the ag department from your transition team and 30 or more than 30 people from the last administration and mainly career people, explain what you do and what each function is. What they would do, they just didn't show up. Right. They just didn't show up. But when they did show up, both at agriculture and at energy, the only thing they asked was, we'd like a list of uh, all the people who went to climate meetings. Right. Yeah. Are you now or have you ever been a climate scientist? <laughs> 
<laughs> That's good. That's a good scene. Oh, man. Oh, man. This Trump coming in, getting out of Paris. Um, I guess they drew up regulation that you can't say climate or you can't say climate change or you can't. In, in some in Florida, for example, the former governor wanted to outlaw use of, of that term in any state related matters. Um, they don't want to talk about it, right? And as you say, they, they're trying to starve those governmental departments and institutions that are tasked with acting on things like climate change. Uh, that's been their approach. Yeah, this is kind of, and 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 this is their ties to the fossil fuel industry, right? And this is. Guys, mainly, but I guess some women in the fossil fuel industry who are going like Citizens United, Republicans, Citizens United happened. Right. If you say that you believe in climate change and yet we have to do something about it, uh, you're going to be primaried. Right. Exactly. Well, and uh, a good friend of mine, you may know uh, Bob Inglis, Republican oh, yeah. congressman in South Carolina, was primaried by essentially by the Koch brothers, right? This is citizens yeah, United, yeah, dark yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so what we have he's, now— He's sort of the poster child. And so what we have is literally a hand-selected by the Koch brothers cabinet, a virtual dream team of fossil fuel lobbyists and climate change deniers running the EPA, the Interior, and all the and departments. And that's not so different— from the George W. Bush administration, that Cheney picked those people. That's right. I don't know if you've seen the film Vice. I, I have. Yeah, uh, brilliant. Adam McKay. I actually yeah. uh, did not expect it to be as good as it was. It was very effective. The performance is amazing. But I also thought, you know, the liberties he took, I thought were all great. There's this montage at the end of Vice. Um, you see these all these scenes, and it's sort of telling you all the things that happened because of the intervention by Dick Cheney when he basically mm -hmm. took over midway through the uh, George W. Bush administration. One of the things you see in that montage, and it's very deliberate, are the California wildfires. Mm -hmm. What he's telling you, and it's true, is that it was the intervention by Cheney and the energy industry midway through that first term where there was this divergence, where the Republicans did become the party of climate change denialism and fossil fuel advocacy. And in my, uh, my book, The Hockey Stick and the Climate Wars, in uh, the beginning of one of the chapters... The hockey stick is the line... It's the, the curve that we curve, published yeah. 20 years ago, became sort of an icon in the climate change debate, and I was attacked by the usual suspects, climate change deniers, yeah, looking sure. to discredit it. But in, in the book, I start out uh, one of the chapters with a speech, and, and you're told that this was a speech given by one of the two candidates in the uh, 2000 election. Uh, you'd read that speech, you'd be sure it was Al Gore, and it wasn't. Mm -hmm. It was W., and it was all about how we're going to act on climate change. We're going to regulate carbon. That's that's actually where W was on the campaign trail. And when he came into office, he appointed Christine Todd Whitman, who was a wonderful EPA administrator, who was the first EPA administrator to say that carbon dioxide should be regulated under the Clean Air Act. And then the Cheney gang uh, came in. Uh, Cheney got, uh, <clears throat> got involved, and uh, Mr. President... Uh, I take that off your uh, off your shoulders. I think you have um, a lot of stuff to do, and uh, I'd be happy to happy happy to do that. I mean, I, <laughs> sorry, I, but okay. So the Republican Party becomes uh, this this party that right. is just denying climate change, and then after Citizens United. It just becomes impossible, right? Because the they're Koch a brothers-owned subsidiary of the Koch brothers in the fossil fuel industry. That's what they become. Yeah. And now they're kind of a, a wholly-owned subsidiary of Trump because the Republican Party is 90% for Trump. Right. And so if they are in a primary, if they say anything about Trump, they're dead. Give me another climate denier thing. Yeah, so, you know, it, it's uh, not warming, and then they concede that, okay, it's warming because mm -hmm. the evidence is very clear. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and you alluded to this already, right? This is one of the standard talking points you hear from climate change-denying politicians mm -hmm. is, well, we don't know how much of it is, is due to uh, human activity, which is also a lie. We mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's very clear from the science that all of the warming that we've seen of the planet over the last century is due 
to the increase in greenhouse gases from fossil fuel burning and other human activities. And here's the clincher. If it were natural factors Mm -hmm. that were governing, alone were governing uh, the climate, the climate should have cooled over the last few decades because there was sort of a plateau and a dip in, in how much energy was coming in from the sun. We can measure that with satellites. There were a number of big volcanic eruptions, which put lots of particles right. in the atmosphere, cools the planet. Mm-hmm. So if you put together those primary natural factors into climate models, they tell you the climate should have cooled over that time okay, frame. Okay, but they're not going to buy that from you. And then you move on, right? If you find that you're speaking oh, no, to a that, brick wall. That, that would be like if wall. you have somebody who's just been a relative or someone who's reasonably intelligent right. and they just happen to be right wing and they right. just happen to watch Fox all the time, you could have that conversation. Maybe. Then try to prove it by going to uh, go to the computer and just kind of. If they've been that subject to that ideological bubble for that long, then they see this, you know, through a purely sort of tribal, you know, if mm-hmm. they're going to be... We're very tribal. Now. Very tribal. So they, they can't concede that climate change is real and human-caused because it's going against their tribe. And, and the Republican Party, I mean, the, the fossil fuel interests were very clever in branding that, right, and spending billions of dollars to imprint climate change denialism in the identity of the Republican Party, because now it is part of that tribal identity. You know, it's really easy for someone to believe something where their paycheck depends on them believing it, right? My former Republican colleagues, I'm sure they just go, I'm going to have to not believe in climate change. And if it's easier for me not to believe in climate change, then I guess I don't. Right. Well, Upton Sinclair, of course, famously said, you know, it's very difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. And that's what we have. Yeah, he was paraphrasing something I just said. Right. Well, that's that's clear. (laughs) That's clearly true. (laughs) Um, James Inhofe. uh, uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) The the senator who introduced a snowball on the Senate floor to disprove all 200 years of. uh, I asked him. Yeah. I said. Jim, could, could I just bring a snowball in? I said, I, if I came in and I'd really pack it hard, because, you know, in Minnesota, we do a lot of the snowball fights are a big deal. Right. And uh, so I really yeah. made it hard. And you're at your desk. Yeah. And I just start saying how, how stupid what you said was. Okay. And then I whip it. <laughs> whip it good. <laughs> whip it good yeah. at you. And then would you just have a thing where your glasses are crooked and you put like um, what looks like uh, I hit you right in the eye? Would you do that? And he said no. He was a nice man. I mean, in the sense when you talked to him, he was friendly. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but and I thought maybe, Deep you know, maybe sky. he'll do that. Yeah. Maybe he'll play along with yeah. that. That would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> you don't yeah. see like no. anything like that. No sense in, of humor. Yeah. A few years ago, he was on the Rachel Maddow show. He um, actually said in this interview that uh, he used to believe what the science had to say until he found out how much it would cost. I actually said this. <laughs> that's, that's a true gaffe, right? It's really? Okay. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana. Where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Oh, well, let's talk about the cost. That's what I wanted to get to. I want to talk about the cost. Right. Because you talked about the wildfires in California. Right. How much did it cost? I mean, what... What was the damage? That must have been like a hundred billion dollars. Yeah, hundreds of billions of dollars, and uh, these na- these disasters we used to call them natural disasters, not really natural disasters, because we're making them worse uh, from climate change, right? These unprecedented- oh, well, the, the, you know, our our wildfire seasons have been extended. The fires are no, bigger, there isn't the wildfire the wildfire season, season in California yeah. anymore. It's just one perpetual, yeah. 
But nationally, I mean, the, the Forest Service has to spend yeah. all of its money now on, on firefighting, and there's no money to even treat the forests uh, so right. that you can thin them and try so to this prevent is, it. This gets to the, the crux of your question, right? Because the cost of action is dwarfed by the cost of inaction. Exactly. We're talking uh, trillions, exactly. trillions of dollars of gross domestic product globally. Climate change is costing us trillions of dollars a year. Um, and it's going to cost more and more and more and absolutely. more. Absolutely. And it's going to be, what are we doing? What are we going to do? Uh, build sea barriers right. Right. along the coast? You know, uh, you not cheap put, to relocate all of the major coastal cities of the world. That's not going to be cheap. And also, like, rich people have houses on the ocean, Right. Don't uh, cry for the Koch brothers. They'll be fine. But everybody else who doesn't have those resources is paying the price, right? Um, And so they're getting record profits. Fossil fuel plutocrats are making record profits while everybody else is paying the price. Okay, so the cost of inaction, much higher than the cost of action. Action brings a lot of good things with it, too. There is going to be a huge market. And there is a huge market for renewable energy, right? Yep. We shouldn't let the Chinese lead in that. Right. And we have. Right. And that's ridiculous. It's stupid. And we spend less money on research and development than we used to. Right. As a percentage of our GDP in the government. I've always thought of this. Why didn't ExxonMobil or Exxon, why didn't they go like, you know what? We are the biggest energy company in the world. Why don't we go into solar? I mean, we would be, if that had happened, we would have been (laughs) invading Saudi Arabia for the the sun, (laughs) for the desert. Right. Well, you know, I think there's an alternative universe where that's what happened. Unfortunately, we're stuck in the one where... That isn't what happened, um, and then they did. They didn't do it because they had uh, all these oil wells, and, well, and yeah. all these oil wells are still producing and cost nothing. I just want to. I'm, I'm just looking randomly. at my notes, and I just want to yeah. say something bad about the Republicans. Okay, you want? Uh, here's one. Uh, so we had we had a hearing on rising uh, sea level, yeah. and only Lisa Murkowski came. At least she came. She was a chairman of the committee. Yeah. But none of them would come, and uh, of course they went rising sea level. Uh, it's going to be about climate change, yeah. and then they didn't show up. Yeah. And then at that uh, hearing, they, uh, one of the witnesses said, "You know, it, because of uh, rising uh, sea level, uh, the storm surges are going to be really bad, and the uh, someday yeah. the New York City subways may get flooded." Right. And it was like two months later. Right. Well, this is, you know, if you look at the predictions from decades ago and you look at what's happening, we predicted all this. The superstorms, the unprecedented floods and wildfires and heat waves that you see. You say that, but didn't you kind of go back and change some of your documents? <laughs> right. We, we traveled back in time to change our predictions to match what actually happened in the future. I mean, how hopeful are you? That, that let's end uh, or you know let's try to let's do the hockey stick of in terms of our mood yeah there you are because lately i've just been having these shows where at the end we're just like oh oh no <laughs> i had a character that i called the depressed senator and this was mr president i rise today to speak about climate change. We're doomed. I would suggest the absence of a quorum. <laughs> and that was that was that was the character. <laughs> it's, it's pretty pretty good. Um Mr President, I rise today to talk about the situation in Syria. There's no hope. <laughs> I would suggest the absence of a quorum. <laughs> We're laughing about the, the end of the world as we know it. But um, the fact is that we still, you know, this is my mantra these days is that there is urgency, but there is agency, which is to say, yes, not oh, only. Oh, man, that sounds like a politician. I know, well, you know. Wow. It's, uh, <laughs> you could do better than that. 
No, that's the best no, I can no, possibly okay, do. No, okay, okay. Agency means you can do you something. You can do something about it, yeah, right? Yeah. You can do something yeah, about listen, it. Yeah, listen, everybody out there, try to eat all the food you buy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... <laughs> you know, that's part of it, right? Yeah, I mean, the most important thing that we can do, of mm-hmm. course, is hold our politicians accountable for representing our interests rather than the oh, voting yeah, interests, there's right? That. So that's voting that. and uh, doing everything we can to expose denialism and bad faith uh, politicians um, and organizing and engaging in whatever actions we can to try to force our policymakers to do what's right. The person on the street, we can't pass a carbon tax. Um, We can't um, introduce incentives for renewable energy. Uh, We need our politicians um, to vote for these policies. Um, So to ultimately solve this problem, we and and we know we know which party we have to vote for in order to do that, at least right now and for the foreseeable future. The, unfortunately, that wasn't always the case. There were some tremendous uh, environmental successes that happened under past Republican administrations. Mm-hmm. Sure. The Trump uh, administration is trying to Clean undo Clean Water those. Act was uh, H.W. Oh, Nixon right. gave us the EPA. That's right. Reagan you know, signed the Montreal Protocol. George H.W. Bush gave us cap and trade to deal with mm-hmm. acid rain. What's happened, of course, is that that party has been captured by the fossil fuel industry. And in my view, what we need to see, you know, right now there's a battle for the soul of the Republican Party. Um, And uh, there is the possibility that what will emerge from that is maybe, you know, a, a new alignment that has good faith conservatives supporting things like climate action. Yeah. Yeah. You think? I was just uh, <laughs> speculating wildly. Uh, no, that uh, that's very, very likely. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, suffice it to say, no, that we just right got to beat them. We got to beat them, and we got you know what out of office, and and uh, we got to yep. do what you're doing, and we got to yep. get the message out to people, yep. and the American people yep. have to go like, okay, guys, we're not going to vote for you if you're not voting. To, to address this, because I I got grandchildren. The good news is that um, you know you've probably seen this. The number one issue right now among Democratic voters, mm-hmm. you know, Republican voters, that's a completely different thing. Democratic voters, number one issue now is climate change. That's what I started this on. I said that if you ask people what's the greatest yeah. existential threat right. to the planet, boom, climate change. They will say that number one. I think that there is sort of this cognitive dissonance, right? between, on the one hand, this notion that, hey, I'm a, I'm a loyal conservative, I have to deny climate change, but hey, I'm witnessing unprecedented impacts. Well, we, we have to win this battle, and we have That's to... That's right. People kind of go up and down a little bit, depending on what, you know, uh, Gore raised it, and then it kind of came down, and then hopefully, you know, the, the, the wildfires in California uh, raised it. It ha- had to. Um, no, that's just California, though. They're all Democrats, right? That, yeah, but you know, in Montana, in Colorado, that's right. in all over that's what, the damn place. That's happening. Texas. Texas, yep. absolutely. The, the, and it's changed. And, and the and, drought in Texas and the drought in New Mexico. And, that's and, right. And so people are, you know. They're seeing it with their own two eyes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there, there is that. And uh, if you pay a price as a politician for denying it, then... Pretty soon they'll stop denying. And so the money won't mean as much as actually um, the the American people convincing them by saying, you know, hey, come on. We right. see it. We see it. And the, the, the question, you know, historically what happens, of course, with those candidates is the Koch brothers come in at last minute, flood, uh, the, the, the saturate the media uh, market with campaign ads for their preferred candidate. And so that price isn't paid. Too often, the climate change denier, uh, denying politician, governor, senator, uh, house member, what have you, is saved in the end by fossil fuel money and Koch brothers money. I don't think that that's going to continue to work. Uh, Let's hope. Let's hope. And thank you for your work. This is uh, hopefully going to be an issue in 2020 race, you know, if we can discuss issues. If we can discuss issues. Right. Because the last race was just the Trump circus and right. Hillary's emails. And, and right. we need, as a country, we yeah. need to be able to have conversations like this. Well put. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.